0: It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns just to dust. dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, a stranger out of her head. This is me, Benio, to be able to ask you to that the song is going to be able to never the shift in the sex. I think you see it. you see
1: it. What does that have to do with me? Check Rex. Check uh, Rex? Yeah, Rex, check I was, I was doing my uh my check banter okay <laughs> um mm-hmm.
0: you something to- t- feels you told off me i had
1: to say more than just check oh that's time, right so you have to say I'm, more words i'm trying to <laughs> if you stop. only
0: check the word check <laughs> um i think we're
1: good we're good okay hmm. all
0: right you sure no you're not sure no i'm not sure yeah but i'm ready let's do it let's go to despite the despite the risks there we go <laughs> to the shores just die to yourself what was that um, that variation on the, the Shores
1: quote that your wife sent us? Oh, shoot. That's a really good question. Something about so, the Shores <clears> of Wonder. You're going to look it up.
0: The The quote that we named the podcast after is, As the island of my knowledge expands, so too to the shores of my ignorance. And
1: then Allison found this. Yeah, this is by Ralph W. Sackman, maybe. Sokman or Sakman. The larger the island of knowledge, the longer the shore of wonder. The larger the island of knowledge, the
0: longer the shore of wonder. It's nice. It's a nice variation. It's too soft. It's too soft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's missing something, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like a, um, it's the same painting with different colors.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Shores of ignorance. You were like very nonplussed about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, mean, shores of ignorance. Like it is wonder because like when you encounter something you don't understand or know, it's wonder, it is wonder. Yeah. So it kind of encapsulates that, but ignorance is like, you're also encountering something that is hard and difficult and is basically kind of puts you in your place. Like, Oh, no matter how intelligent I think I am, I still have all these blind spots and, and there's something to figure out and to understand and to know. You think that that's, <clears throat> that's encapsulated in the word wonder,
0: but the word wonder doesn't necessarily bring it out on its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because I don't know, because I think some people see ignorance as, and I think this maybe ties into maybe the topic we're going to get into today about kind of maybe like what it means to die to yourself, that like religious kind of a language around that. But, I mean, there's something about how, you know, when you encounter your inabilities to uh, I guess in how you encounter the world or or just your shortcomings, there's something that's humbling about that. And that's it's meant to humble and, and cause humility to kind of put you in your place. Mm-hmm. And and yeah you do have this island of knowledge, but there's this part of when you go out to the shores, you're somewhat humbled and there's there's a glaringness that a truth or a something outside of yourself is kind of holding you in check or accountability
0: the word humble is jumping out at me because after our conversation <clears throat> last week <clears throat> when we were talking about decisions and consequences mm-hmm. decisions and suffering and um i think i said something to the effect of in every decision, there is a small amount of mourning Mm. for what you had to slay, what you had to leave behind. And I think that I was thinking this week that that fact, if that's not too strong of a way to put it, that fact, I think should elicit a sense of humility. It Mm -hmm. should humble you as you make decisions. You should be humble about them because, whatever it is that you're leaving behind, you're also leaving behind all the possibilities of it. And you don't know what those possibilities were. Yeah, You had to put something to death in order to move on the decision you made. And that thing that you put to death, you should do that with honor and humility. Hmm. When you don't, you become something like a tyrant or an authoritarian.
1: Yeah, sort of that uh, idea of where, you know, both you and I listened to Brett and Steve Patterson's podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was something about the Oh, uh, no! I just, I know, I just lost it. Something um, about humility. Yeah, shit. I was trying to remember the guy's name. <laughs> I was like, Steve Patterson. Or did you get hung up at wondering yeah. if that was the <laughs> right name? Yeah, exactly. I,
0: in my head, I was like, Oh, good job. He remembered it without even hesitating. <laughs> you totally stumbled you. over your own doubt. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. That was a really. I highly recommend this conversation. It's on the dark horse podcast with Brett Weinstein. It's the episode. It's like one or two back, mm-hmm. um, called, are we living in a dark age? Yeah. We'll probably jump into some of that stuff too. Cause it's yeah. super interesting. Well, maybe while you're trying to remember what you wanted to say about it, I'll just say it's one of the best conversations I've heard in a long time. And I mean that sort of technically mm-hmm. like what makes a, it not the content is excellent, but, um, the way that they converse is mm. excellent the way that they play with ideas together, assimilate each other's points. Like it's, it's a, a wonderful dance of a conversation. Yeah. Even um, the way they disagreed with each other too. Yeah. Which was right. really awesome. It felt very productive and joyful to listen to, mm. to listen to two people enjoy talking to one another like that.
1: Yeah. I think for me in that whole podcast, uh, once it got to about an hour and 12, that's when they just blew my mind. And, uh, anyways, that's a, a it's pretty long, right? It's, it's like almost long. three hours long, mm-hmm. but the um, whole thing was good. But I just remember at one twelve, like it was like, it's like, Whoa, okay. You're getting to some really heavy topics here. That are really cool. Yeah. And the
0: title, they don't really get to the <clears throat> the topic of the title. Are we living in a dark age? Which is kind of a stunning title, mm-hmm. um, until maybe like the last 30 minutes. Yeah, totally. But, man, is it worth the payoff? Mm -hmm. It was, it was very much a, to borrow Brett's brother, Eric's term. It was a portal Mm. kind of moment for me, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, because I think we just sort of take it for granted that we're living in the most advanced age ever. Yeah. And to hear someone lay out a pretty compelling argument that while that might be true, it looks more like a dark age Mm -hmm. in terms of, I can't really recapitulate his argument, but in terms of progress and in terms of our sort of almost arrogant position that we don't really need to move things forward because we're, we've pretty much got it all figured out.
1: Yeah. I think that Brett, I think that's what drew Brett to Steve, Steve Patterson was that, you know, he had experienced a few things like with, uh, with Dawkins and, their conversation I I wish I'm going to go back and and listen to that again but Dawkins and Brett Weinstein had a a conversation I think it was a two-part conversation but it was super fantastic really enjoyed it and you know that was one thing that Brett poised to him and also another professor earlier in the day um you know it's like why hasn't there been any more big discoveries in evolutionary theory and basically both of them answered is like, we've kind of figured it all out already. So there's nothing, there's no big things to learn anymore. Hmm. And Brett was just like, what are you talking about? Like, how could you possibly uh, think that much Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. us ourselves? I think that's the arrogance. That's the arrogance. And that's kind of a sign of a, of a dark age too, because like we think we have it figured out, but, but once you think you have it figured out, that's whenever I think the humility and you're going to be humbled because mm, mm-hmm. you
0: either take a position of humility or you're going to be humbled. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is like, that's a really fantastic <clears throat> idea. <laughs> a, right. Uh-huh. Cause you will be humbled. Like you're going to get walloped by reality. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said the
1: word walloped out loud. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. But, excellent. But I think that's the thing is like the world is so complex. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably complex. And for us to even imagine that we have something figured out, if we have, if you don't just look at history itself, that shows us time and time again, that you, we have this sort of era where we go through and then we kind of make these discoveries that are groundbreaking and then we think we have it figured out. And then all of a sudden along comes something else to just shake us to the core and then like, Mm -hmm. whoa, okay, now we have it figured out. And that's, that's kind of a pattern that has happened throughout history that we should just be aware of and then maybe learn something from it. Right. Some humility and be like, okay, you know, well, it made me think about how we've
0: developed something of a new relationship with the term experts. Yeah, oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Lately, uh, you know, really kind of through the COVID thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the experts say, which I don't know if that was thrown around with quite the frequency um, you know, pre-COVID, that it was post-COVID, but mm. it's sort of like a, you know, it's like the, the 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 royal use of they. It's like that's how they get you. Well, it's like who's they? You know, <laughs> uh-huh. experts is becoming one of those. The experts say, well, who are the experts? Yeah, oh, don't worry about it. They're expert. They know. You know, and um, we have just sort of accepted that as. Oh yeah. Someone's, someone's looked, someone's figured it out. Mm-hmm. They know for sure. Rock solid evidence. Yeah. You know, then you look into almost all of the sciences. That's not really a thing. Like science should be a position of continued attempts at falsification and, hum, and hum, humility against the, the results of your work. Mm. That's how science progresses. And if you take the point of, Nope, this is right. We don't need to look anymore. Like that's when you're going to get humbled by reality
1: yeah for some reason i feel like i don't this must have changed sometime recently because when i was growing up i kind of always felt the position of a scientist was this is what we know and understand as of right now you know and then sort of like for some reason that statement is always kind of stuck in my brain and i don't know if that's true or not as far as but that's that's kind of what's stuck in my head as far as like growing up what science was it's like here we here's where we are right now tomorrow i have no idea if that's going to hold well i seem to remember that too <clears throat> you know
0: like you know, but when we were getting educated that was literally 30 years ago <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so that could have been on the tail end of a whole different generation of thinking true um which, which was taking a position of humility, mm-hmm. you know, it was sort of like the space race was in recent memory. World war two was in recent memory. there's a lot of innovation around all of that, a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. And then we don't, it doesn't seem like we talk about science that way now though, does it? Because mm-hmm. now it's like, this is what we know for sure. And if you disagree or even ask for, Evidence, yeah. You know, or, or scientific consensus. <laughs> it's the consensus and get out of here. You bigot, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a, a concerning, it's a concerning position for a society to be in.
1: Yeah. I wonder if it's also the like scientists turned religious and that, you know, um, cause I also don't remember a lot about being taught <clears throat> evolution in high school. <clears throat> Or directly, you know, yeah, I mean it wasn't really until like ten years ago that I really dug into mm. evolution in, in any real way mm. i mean do you do you remember being taught evolution in, in any form or fashion?
0: I feel like I remember it being taught as a theory,
1: okay, gotcha,
0: although maybe that was partly my misunderstanding of the word theory, I mean theory mm-hmm. means something specific in the sciences, yeah which is about as sure as you get about something. Totally, yeah. Um so maybe it was my poor understanding at the time, but I it did, it did seem to be like a, you know, this six weeks we're going to discuss the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of move on. Like it, yeah. it didn't seem foundational or fundamental. Mm-hmm. Which I think now it's much more widely discussed as foundational and fundamental.
1: Yeah. And I agree. Yeah, because I, I, I see more of like, it seems like the re- religion and science has almost switched, uh, switched parties, <laughs> where it's, now it's like if you disagree with the scientist, then, you know, it's like you're sort of ostracized or, mm. you know, you're thought less as, where, you know, in the 1980s, it was more of like if you disagree with the church or something like what that. What was the,
0: what's it, the character in Game of Thrones, the, the priest that walks around? And he has his like gang of <clears throat> hooligans with the star uh-huh. carved in their foreheads. Yeah, I don't know what his name was, but I know what you're talking about but Sparrow, High Sparrow. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, it's like disagreeing with science is like disagreeing with the High Sparrow. His thugs are going to come and beat you up in the street.
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, definitely COVID has, has, has demonstrated that to us pretty uh, extensively. I mean, everything from mass to shots to kids to who's at risk to well there's an interesting like additional
0: layer though because like I don't disagree with science mm-hmm. I actually like strongly agree with science the, with the scientific method what I disagree with is you telling me what to do in the name of science And then not showing me the science. Uh, True. Yeah. Or me looking and the science isn't there. Yeah. And you're like, no, just experts say it's been done. Science has been done. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to see. You know, you're asking me to inject a novel therapeutic into my blood, into my tissue. I'd like to see. Sorry, you can't see.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, is this, is this conventional the way that we've done this? Oh no, this isn't conventional. We've actually rushed this where usually this would take years and years of, uh, going through different, you know, studies and, um, you know, controlled groups and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like, okay, well just be truthful to us and say, Hey, this is, this is high. This is a highly risky, you know, therapeutic Mm -hmm. and, you know, they could have positive effects, and, you know we recommend this for people over sixty five because those are the ones most affected by this you know if if it would have been no, that of, that
0: would have been a reasonable position,
1: yeah, but they didn't take that position uh-uh. no i think that's I think that's where this whole the science thing has really become more of like a religious statement mm-hmm. <laughs> than, right. a, than an actual right like what you're what we're talking about is the scientific method you know which you know, it's, it's something, um, there's something about observing and, and, uh, testing and making hypotheses and, mm-hmm. and continually trying to falsify those conclusions that we, that we've come to. Right.
0: Well, do you want to pivot? Yeah, let's pivot. Because, you know, COVID's boring. <laughs> God, yeah, <laughs> totally. My bad. <laughs> I'm over it. I am too. Um, so you wanted to talk about dying
1: to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think it fits, it fits really well with where we're at um, in our conversation with this. It's, it's sort of the idea of, you know, you, you kind of, well, okay. I, I was thinking of this specifically with my daughter, Elia, and I was thinking of things that I'd like to tell her as she's moving, like she'll be graduating next year. and, and, something I I, I I didn't know how to really phrase it and i still don't really know how to phrase it so i'm gonna kind of maybe work it out a little bit here okay but there's something i wanted to tell her it's like hey the person that you think you are right now is going to be different in a year from now and two years from now and five years from now and 10 years from now and i heard uh, i was listening to a podcast talking about just the idea of what it means to die to yourself and and it's interesting cuz it has a religious context to it but the guy who talked about it I forgot his name but there's a sort of idea like we do have to continually die to ourselves like who i am today is not who i'm going to be tomorrow or a year from now or 2 years from now and i see some examples of people that that don't that haven't died to themselves that are in their older age and they're just so boxed in by a reality they've kind of created and surrounded themselves with and anything that doesn't fit into that reality it's sort of rejected and it's like their world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. and so this idea of like you know we have to die to who we were yesterday and part of it has to do with truth and you know again this is a lot of what Jesus talks about it's like you know the truth will set you free and I think there's something about that it's like Like there's something that can be true about who I am today, but it could be false tomorrow. Um, You know, the very things that help me today, the, the systems I have in place in order to move around in the world and and be productive are good today, but might not be good or helpful tomorrow. And there's something I have to be continually like, you know, again, religious language renewed every day. And that there's a certain Mm -hmm. humility about that too. And it makes sense, too, when you're talking about a complex world that, you know, we only have a very fine, a very small um, grasp on the reality that surrounds us. Hmm. And as we get older, that that should keep growing and keep growing. But we never we never get beyond that still at same point of Hmm. being a finite being with us with a small grasp of the complexity of the world around us. And the, I guess the part of being the humility that comes with like, I'm not who I am yesterday and I need to be open to dying to that guy. That was Michael yesterday, mm. you know? So I just kind of rambled on it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's all, it's, it seems very profound to me. Mm. I'm trying to figure out an entry point into a, a thought.
1: Well, it makes me... Th- there's also this kind of Buddhist saying, like, you never step into the same river twice. And, again, a lot of these things have been overused, but when you really think about it, too, it's like there's something... You know, you know. I just went back to Amarillo again. We go back to Amarillo probably once a year, maybe once... That's where you grew up. That's where I grew up. And it's interesting. Every time I go back, it's a different Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Like, something else been built. Like, oh, look, there's a gas station there that wasn't a gas station. Mm. You know, it's like, I where the Walmart is. I took down all the barbed wire fence in that field Hmm. before they built the barbed wire, before they built the Walmart, you know? You did? mm -hmm. Wow. I know, it's really crazy. Uh, And so like, you know, you see it it active in the world around us that, you know, you never step into the same river twice. You know, I mean, even you and I come every Wednesday to do this podcast and you're not the same Matt Hmm. from last week. Hmm. And I think there's something that if we can hold that, idea and somehow be, um, and not try to hold it. Cause again, there's another idea in this too. Is like, I don't know if everybody's experienced this, but a lot of times your high school friends expect you to be the high school Michael or the Matt Michael in high school. Hmm. And they hold this sort of like picture of you and expect you to interact with them in that same way. And you're like, I'm not the same. That's not, I'm not the same Michael that you're interacting with. Hmm. And, you know, even being married for, you know, 20 years, it's like, Alison's not the same Allison, and I have to continue to interact with her in a different way Hmm. every single day or month or year because she's not the same person. So try this analogy on because
0: you, we aren't the same people that we used to be Mm -hmm. and, you know, in, in five or 10 years, we won't be the same people that we are now hopefully yeah sort of like god willing yeah what was that story you were telling me about the the priest kept saying god willing oh. <laughs> you, you coming out to dinner tonight john yeah i'll be there god willing <laughs> wait so are you
1: coming or not <laughs> it was two it was two muslims and um and at, at the um at the statement you say oh god willing and <laughs> so his, his friend was really confused he's like wait a minute are you are you going to be there at eight? he's like, Oh yes, definitely. We'll be there at eight. God willing. He's like, uh, so are, are you, or are you not? <laughs> Anyways, that's really yeah, it's funny.
0: So anyway, we, we won't be the same people. Mm-hmm. God willing. And, <laughs> and yet there is something of the same. Like I'm still me, even though I'm different. And so what does that mean? Mm. How can that be true? I mean, it's, it's a seemingly contradic- contradictory statement or paradoxical. Maybe Yeah, I'm, I'm different, but I'm still the same. Hmm. What does that mean? I had a thought. Maybe a song is like that. Hmm. Like I write, I think we've all had this experience where you find a new song that you love and you totally turned on by it. Like it's like hitting on all, hitting on all eight for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, And then at some point you realize that this is a cover and then you go and listen to the original version sung by the original artist. And you're like, I don't like this at all. Mm. Well, how's that possible? Same song, right? Well, no, I can play you a song. Like what is a song? How do you define a song? You know, it's when someone sings in a particular, and maybe a song is a particular melody, but if you sing it and then I sing it, it's different. Mm. Same song, but different. And maybe the reason you can fall in love with somebody singing a cover and not like when the original artist sings it is that, you know, actually there's a really good case to be made that in those, in those circumstances, the original artist didn't understand the song. Hmm. Um, I think there's a great episode of revisionist history where Malcolm Gladwell talks about the famous song, Alleluia. Oh, yeah. Uh And he kind of makes the case, like most of us know that song via Jeff Buckley. He made it famous, but Jeff Buckley didn't write it. Um, it turns out that Jeff Buckley was actually not even covering the original song. He was covering someone else covering the song. Hmm. Like he fell in love with somebody else covering the song and decided to cover it. So he's playing a cover of a cover. (laughs) Um, and I'm totally blanking on the original artist's name. Um, gosh, I'll have to look it up. It's pretty important. um, I feel embarrassed, but, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how to spell hallelujah. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Leonard Cohen song. Okay. Um, and Malcolm Gladwell actually makes the case that like the writing of that song was almost like um, an outsourced project. Cause Leonard Cohen is sort of famous for this. He'll write a song and that song will have like a bunch of verses you know, like way too many verses. And so one guy covers it and pairs it down to like three verses. And then Jeff Buckley covers it and he chooses a different three verses. And it's like these different people interacting with the song are sort of shaping it into something that finally with Jeff Buckley, like really hit. So who wrote the song? You know, it's, yeah, it's Leonard Cohen's song but it's also Jeff Buckley's and all the other people who have covered it. Mm. And, you know, there's something about the song that Leonard Cohen didn't quite understand. And I think that's the same process is that, yeah, I'm me. I'm Matt. There's something about me that I don't understand. And I'm learning. I'm learning who I am. I'm mm. learning how to be me. It's like, I'm, I'm simultaneously learning who I am and learning how to be me. Mm-hmm. It's like learning an instrument simultaneously learning what it is and how to play it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the song will change. So I'll stay the same like the lyrics of a song or the melody of a song. But I'm going to be sung in different ways by with different timbres and different emotional contexts and different amounts of wisdom, different skill levels mm. as I become hopefully better at
1: being me and more competent. Yeah. My, uh, <clears throat> so this is kind of, uh, I've probably mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast, but th- that has to do with like one of my basic axioms that I've never been able to break, which is I know who I am and I also don't know who I am. It's like, I know you Matt, but also don't know you Matt. And I feel like there's a paradoxical aspect to life that you have to be able to be okay with that sort of duality Mm -hmm. of knowing and not knowing. Like it is true that I know who I am and it is also true that I don't know who I am. And kind of like you kind of talked about is who I'm becoming to be and also acting out who I am. Like there's this part that's like you have to also act it out in the world Uh, And that's something I've never been able to break because there's something, even when we learn a new subject, it's like you, you come to a place where you have some sort of uh, comprehension of the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And yet, so you know it and then you start to encounter the complex, the more the complexity, and then you feel like you don't know it. And then you become, and then you know it and then you encounter more complexity. And I think that's just a, that's a basic axiom in life that you can't you can't break. Hmm. And and I think that has to, in order to move into the future like that, there's this idea, you know, which is specifically a Christian idea, but I think there's also, there's a lot of it has to do with sacrifice that you see in a lot of other religions too, but you kind of have to sacrifice your old self in order to move into the future on who you could be or who that unknown person is. Like if you don't sacrifice that person who you are today in order to move into the future, it's like there's a sort of staleness that comes, you know, that or you start running from. You know, you were giving an example before the podcast of, you know, someone who had not, who kept, you know, just working and and not moving into the future and and surrounding themselves with things that would keep them from encountering their future self. Hmm. And I, th- I thought that was a it was a really great example of that idea. We can distract ourselves from becoming. Hmm that future self. And this is the the dying to yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm trying to figure out a really, like a succinct way to put this, but I'll just barrel right in. Yeah. I feel like succinctness so comes at the end of the podcast. That's right. right? We, we just, Save that for the we end. We flounder in between. <laughs> well, so we've, There's this difficult reality, I think, which is that a consequence of being conscious is that you're, you're constantly confronted with the issue that you have to do something Hmm. constantly, you know, unless you're sleeping. And then even when you're sleeping, it's like you're, you're dreaming. And sometimes that's really frustrating because you wake up and you're like, why did I have to do all that in my dreams? I was just trying to rest, you know, it's like, um, Mitch Hedberg has a great joke about that. Something like you know I just wanted to lay down the, to rest and all of a sudden I have to build a go-kart with my ex-landlord. <laughs> <laughs> Not how I want to spend the time. It's awesome. <laughs> you know so you wake up and you think you have to do something and so you start well you do whatever you do you know whatever that happens to be you know and, and I think we, we have a lot of structures in place in families and institutions like schooling and work it's like that actually solves quite a a large amount of the time that we have to do things in um well so you start doing things you know and then you decide okay i know what i want to do with my life you know and and when you're younger it's something of a dream it's like for me i wanted to be a musician so i say okay i want to work toward that well i've been doing all this other stuff spending my time, however I spend it. And a lot of that's filled with things that I like to do. You know, maybe it's rollerblading, for example, I'm thinking about myself in high school.
1: <laughs>
0: um, you know, I spent a lot of time rollerblading with my friends, got really into it. Like we all had, you know, uh, custom aftermarket ball bearings <laughs> and, um, all kinds of, all kinds of that's things.
1: Awesome.
0: Um, and that's a great way to spend the time. You know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, Learned a lot about how to move. I learned a lot about how to fall. Learned um, coordination. Made good friendships. And then you decide, well, okay, I know how I'd like to spend my time now. Or like what I want to be doing. I want to be, um, for example, for a while, I wanted to play in the Saturday Night Live band. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah okay, I want to do that. Well, now you have to, you have to start looking at, so now you have something you want to do and you have to look at all of your time and all of your activities and say, okay, are these moving me toward that? Do I want mm. that? If I want that, then I should spend my time moving toward that. It's like, well, I'm spending three hours a day rollerblading. I wasn't, but it's just I'm <laughs> hyperbole for the sake of example. Um, you know, do I have to give up rollerblading? Like maybe. Um, But I like it and I'm learning all these skills and I have all these relationships and I don't want to give up something good. Mm -hmm. Well, do you want to be a musician? If you do, and, the evidence that you do would be that you're working toward it. And if you're working toward it, then you're probably spending less time rollerblading. You don't have to give it completely up, but that is something like a, something like a death. It's like Mm. I have to give up something that I like. I have to die. The part of me that wants to invest time and energy into that has to die Mm. to some degree and be replaced with something that at first does not feel productive, does not feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember when I was in, high school this this is not a cohesive story at all but like (laughs) at a certain point i got serious about music at the time i was um i was playing guitar a lot and also i was playing french horn and i was taking the french horn very seriously and i was in the youth orchestra of san antonio um as well as high school band and all of that and i was i got really serious about getting good and i remember at a certain point in time, I was so serious about it that I got up an hour before I was supposed to every day and practice French horn for an hour. First thing in the morning. Well, wow, how did everybody like that? I'm sure they hated it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody got up. Everybody yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't think that period of time lasted very long because it wasn't sustainable for my family, <laughs> you know, and how annoying it, of me. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, but I just think, If you want something, you have to give other things up to, to get it Mm. because you are also simultaneously presented with almost endless opportunity. You wake up, what do you want to do with your time? There are more possible answers to that question Mm. than you could write down. So you choose some of them sometimes arbitrarily or out of boredom or proximity or coincidence or whatever, and they turn out to be great. They turn out to be fun. Mm. Well, at some point you have to give some of those up. If you, if you then later decide there's something else you want and you've got to align yourself toward that. So, so all that long disjointed explanation (laughs) to say like, it, it seems very profound to me. And yes, you have to die to yourself. You have to give up your parts of yourself all the time Hmm. in order to move into the future. Partly into the future that you want, and also partly into a future which is unpredictable.
1: Hmm. Which is interesting, like, because when you take this on a, you know, again, sometimes I use religion in a negative way, and sometimes in a positive way, but, you know, when Jesus talks about dying to yourself, it's sort of like, you know, and being, I guess, kind of open to God, like, so I'm reading... Ecclesiastes right now. And it talks about the fear of God. And there's something about that that's really profound about that idea. And however you can conceptualize God, you know, and, you know, it's like, whether it be truth or the thing that cannot be moved, you know, I think that's something that really sticks with me is sort of like, there's a truth that cannot be moved. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have to kind of stand in awe, which is fears in the, in the Bible is usually used as like a reverence kind of <clears throat> idea. And there's something that it's, there's just something that seems very healthy about having that fear of sort of a greater truth, a God, or something that is, you know, objective reality, something that is governing all of these things, like, um, as far as, you know, I can believe something, but at some point reality is going to tell me whether that's true or not, whether mm-hmm. I want, want <clears throat> it or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of like what that, that fear and sort of humility kind of comes into this. Um, you know, in that we have to continually to die cause we are, we are incomplete, you know, it's like, we don't have it. And there's something that, that is a continual reminder that I think reality does it is a continual reminder of how complete we are not, <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, how it,
0: insufficient how insufficient are. we are. <clears throat> and even when we're at our best, mm-hmm. like, and we f- actually feel sufficient, you know, mm-hmm. I have those days every once in a while
1: mm.
0: where I feel like I get to the end of the day and I'm like, I kicked ass today. Mm. I did better than I thought I could do. Yeah. You know, they're rare, but they come around every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But even in those days, you're not sufficient for the future mm. because the future is not predictable. Mm-hmm. And the future will be different for sure. Yeah. And when I say future, I don't mean like back to the future style, thirty years in the future. I mean like next week. Mm-hmm. I mean tomorrow. Tomorrow is a new day. That word "new," it's different. Tomorrow will be different. Mm different challenges. Like, and thank, thank God, because, you know, if you're sufficient and that's working out day to day, you're immediately going to become bored.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can also see somebody when we're, as we're talking about this is like, wow, that sounds really depressing. But, Mm. but I think when you made that last statement is like, man, today I kicked ass. Like there's a certain celebration. Whenever you do, you experience that, being more than what you were yesterday and you experience that I, that the feeling and the idea the accomplishment or the actions that demonstrated to you or even to the people around you that something is different about this guy, you know, something is different about me and you, you experience that it's a, it's a physical visceral experience. And I think that's something that does keep us, you know, moving forward into the future is because there's, there is that experience of feeling more than what you were yesterday. But then I think there's also the other side of it too, is like, which I think some people can, depending on where you, you sit in this area, like some people can be more like, I'm, I'm so shit, you know, like I'm not who I could be. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's, there's a time to be in that place of like, yeah, Michael, you know what? That's true. Yeah. But there's also, but they, it's like, it's like, if it's true, you want to know
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it hurts. And it it's hurts. hard. Well, I was having a conversation with my 16 year old a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about something that I thought was pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly didn't think it was important. So he didn't <laughs> want to do it. And he said something like, you know, I was asking him like, why don't you want to do this? He's yeah. like, well, you know, it's, it's hard. And I thought, would it be any fun if it wasn't? like thinking about him specifically, he loves to play video games. Mm. You know, I love to play video games or maybe I did when I was younger. I don't do it as much anymore, but a game is fun to the extent that it's hard. As soon as it becomes easy, it's not fun anymore. Mm. It's like the fun is to be had in the challenge. When things aren't challenging, they're not fun. Totally. And I don't know why it's so easy to see that in games. You know in video games maybe there's some sort of like um like arrogant sort of fun when a game becomes easy and you can beat other people mm-hmm. but I don't think that lasts very long yeah so, it's like when you're challenged when in a game you get addicted to it mm. you know you you want to play it over try again and again and again and again it's like I haven't been a video game player since in 64 and you know, 007 golden eye, but this when you call it a video game player, a like video said, game player, you're a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have that term back then when I was growing up. Um, but when you can't, when you can't beat something and it needs to be right on the edge of your hmm. ability, you need to be close enough to it that you think next time, one yeah. more time, one more time. And it might be a hundred more times, you know, but you'll, you'll keep going. And I, It's interesting to me that that makes so much sense in that context. But then when when that's applied to life more generally, it seems to not make as much sense. Like, we just want to be successful in our lives. Mm -hmm. I think, well, would that be fun? If you were just successful, Hmm. would that be fun? I don't think so. Yeah. I think the fun is in the challenge. And the times of celebration make it all worth it. And then you immediately look for more challenge.
1: It's kind of interesting. I've got, it, it was on a podcast somewhere. and I, It might have been Brett and Steve's podcast, but you know, even how they design video games, you know, where they have like usually at the beginning you have these things that you accomplish early on that are fairly easy, you know, because they want you, they want you to feel sort of some sort of accomplishment. But if they kept it easy, then you would get bored with it and you just move on to the next game. So there's a sort of escalating challenge that keeps happening with each level in order to keep you engaged with the game. But they definitely give you that sort of like, you know, uh, that feel good at the beginning of make, t- making these tiny accomplishments. And you think about that too, with our kids, you know, when they're really little, it's like, Oh, yay, you clapped your hands. Yay. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, but if you're telling that to a 20 year old, Hey, Oh cute. That's, you clapped your hands, you know, it'd be like <laughs> it'd be insulting. It'd be so insulting, you know, yeah. it's like, because that's not a big deal and and there's something about how i think it probably even applies to raising kids is like there's you know giving helping them achieve those small successes in each stage of their life and celebrating those successes you know and then also helping them with going through the hard times presenting them with or allowing them go through problems that are a little bit outside their skill set and you don't solve it for them but you allow them to experience the struggle and the pain that comes with that, you know? And, and obviously there's a, there's a, there's a place where you need to maybe step in and sometimes in some of those instances, you know, but like, hmm. it's like, but if you don't allow people to sort of, uh, experience, I mean, I see this with managers, you know, um, over the years is, is a lot of people who could come into management, they want to do everything for everyone, you know, and because, they want to make, the, they want to make the staff's life easier mm. and you know, it's like be a good boss and stuff like that. But also you're robbing them of taking ownership of their job and of their position. So it's like, as a manager, you have to know when to step in and when not to like, Hey, you, you can figure this out. Yeah. Or, Hey, no, I'm here. I got you. AC's down. I'm here. Let's do this thing. You know, but there's other times where he's like, it's like, okay, no, you know, it's gonna be a rough couple of days, you know, but like, let's, let's get through this. And, the, and like allowing people to experience those. I think there's something with that with as you move up in positions and titles that you have to allow other people to experience the the frustrations and the and the pain that comes with learning something new or figuring something out. Well, I
0: think it's that if you don't let people experience the pain and frustrations, you rob them of the celebration hmm. of success. Yeah. like I remember this time a couple of years ago, I've got this old car that I'm always working on or (laughs) was always working on until COVID. And now it's kind of been sitting, but, um, I needed to replace the muffler and the mufflers like seven feet long. You know, it goes from kind of the front, kind of the front of the car to all the way to the back. And there was one day it was a Saturday and I was alone and I was like, I'm going to get this done today. And so I bought the new muffler and, went out in the driveway and jacked the car up and I'm laying down under there looking at it sort of sizing it up like <laughs> like there's a some I don't know if this is a myth or not but some story about this woman who had a boa constrictor and this boa constrictor pet of hers was like her best friend and it like lived in her house like not in a cage but just sort of like slithered around and she like <clears throat> one day noticed that she would wake up in the morning and it would be laid out completely straight next to her. She's like, Oh, that's kind of strange. Happened three or four days in a row. She took it to the vet. and The vet was like, yeah, he's sizing you up trying to figure out if he can fit you inside him. (laughs) 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 So I was kind of laying down under the car, like a boa constrictor and I'm like (laughs) sizing up the length of this tailpipe that I'm going to try to replace. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got to connect this end over here and this end over here. And I don't, I don't think I can do this by myself. I think I need help. Mm-hmm. So I remember I called a couple friends. <clears throat> Nobody was available to come help me. Obviously you didn't call me. So that's someone- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I probably didn't call you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, that's not the kind of activity that we do together. <laughs> Damn, <it's not>. <laughs> <laughs> and no one was available. And I was like, I want this done. So I went, out there and wrestled with this tailpipe like laid on my back with my hands outstretched over my head, trying to like secure one end while at the same time trying to like insert the other end Was kind of feet with my feet. <laughs> yeah. So I had my feet up and I'm doing like this sort of like reverse plank thing and my abs are burning and my muscles are burning. Uh-huh. And like, you know, in my memory, this took two hours. Yeah. Probably didn't. But like mm-hmm. when you're in that, it's like that sort of adverse physical position everything time changes you know I thought this is stupid just stop just wait for help mm-hmm. this would be super easy i was like no i want this done and i struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and i thought this is impossible this cannot be done alone and then finally <laughs> and dude i like rolled out from under that car and jumped up and down and was like yeah The muffler falls out. (laughs) (laughs) No, it never (laughs) fell out. Like it was successful, but it was like the celebration, that moment was so awesome. Hmm. Like, yeah, I did that. And now my car's fixed and I can go drive it, Hmm. you know, to the gas station and pick up some cold beer. And like, it was an awesome feeling. Yeah. You know, and would the feeling have been as good if. I had actually just called you and you came over and, you know, we did it in 10 minutes and we're like, okay, that problem is dealt with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What now? You know, there wouldn't have been the celebration. There wouldn't, because it would have been easy. Yeah. So I think when things are hard, there's intense meaning that comes out of that. And it's not arbitrary. It's not just like arbitrarily expose yourself to difficulty and meaning will be created. Although I kind of do believe that. hmm I think that you become what's like we were talking about. We're not the person now that we will be later. The person that we will be later will be a result of testing our boundaries and our limits and sometimes exceeding them. Mm. And like, can I master this hand foot coordination with this, you know, hundred pound muffler or whatever it weighs and get this done? You know, it's stupid, but yes, I can.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But interesting too, like, like the kind of the law of diminishing returns, like you, you still have this story and like, you know, listening to you tell it right now, it's like, I can see that you're viscerally experiencing it again. Hmm. However, you don't drive around in that car thinking, Hey, that muffler is on, you know, it's like, (laughs) actually I do. (laughs) Do Yeah. Which I, which
0: is I've always enjoyed working on my own car Mm -hmm. and I think that is because so there's um part of me wants to stop talking about Jordan Peterson because I feel like it's been every episode for a while but like he he gives this um I don't know example like he says you think you know what things are like you think what you're driving to work is a car Mm -hmm. it's like that's not a car that's a a thing to move you from point A to point B. Mm. That's a more accurate description. You don't know what that is. You know, it isn't until it breaks down that the full complexity of what that thing is reveals itself to you yeah. as absolute chaos. Cause it's broken. You don't know why you don't know how you don't know how it works. And I, I really like working on my own cars because when I'm driving it around, like I do know mm. I have been inside that engine. I've opened it up. I've looked at it. I yeah. fix things in it. And I, there's a sense of that when I drive a car that I've worked on where I know it intimately.
1: Mm.
0: I mean, it's almost like, like a woman,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like a, a, a your wife, you know, her intimately.
1: Mm.
0: You have a different sense of her than you do of every other woman. Mm. I think it's like that with a car that you've <laughs> opened up and worked on. But I think it's true of almost anything. Like, you know, you don't really know what your house is until you've tried to work on it. Mm. This this past weekend, I went to um, I was visiting my parents, and my dad has a pretty extensive wood shop. And I've had these. So I I bought this like probably nineteen fifties dining room set, so really cool old table and four chairs. And the chairs had gotten pretty wobbly. All the joints are starting to get you know weak. And there's ch- these chairs are put together with with uh, like different kinds of joints and glue. And so I took the chairs down and my dad and I, this weekend, we took them all apart, which was basically a process of like using mallets to bang apart the pieces. It's fairly, you know, violently destructive process, but you do it just gently enough. You can pull them apart such that you can re glue them and put them back together. And we did that, but I learned a ton Hmm. about how these chairs are put together. And like, for instance, there's these little dowels, under the seats. And when you're sitting in them, if you kind of like are having your hands to your side and you kind of end up feeling around on the chair with your fingers, you might feel the edge of this little dowel sticking out. I never knew what they were for. I had thoughts and hypotheses, and now I know what they're for. Hmm. I know structurally where they go. I've taken them out and looked through the hole. I've seen the things go together. So I've, I'm sitting on the chair now, and i'm feeling its strength Hmm. and i'm thinking this used to be wobbly like it was going to fall apart now it's like solid Hmm. feels good and i know why it feels good in part because i fixed it but also i know what the fix entailed i see where the strength comes from it's like i mean it's like that
1: i mean when you're when you're when you're talking about this right now it makes me think of like when you engage reality when you engage the world and you act in in the world it's like you get feedback and so like this you know you see this in relationships when you engage in a relationship you know you get feedback and some of that feedback is welcomed and some of it's not welcomed but at the same time it's information and sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's joyful Hmm. but the thing is is like as as you interact with something and act in the world and you get this feedback, it's like the things around you begin to have new meaning or Mm -hmm. more meaning because you're engaging with them. It's like life is not happening to you, but you're engaging it. And so, so like the meaning is, is actually being exuded from like, you're not just driving in your car, you're driving in the car that you've replaced all these different parts and pieces. So in engaging with your car in that way, that car has more meaning now, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, you and I do this podcast every Wednesday night for three years, three and a half years, you know, it's like, it's like, there's something about this time in this space that has so much meaning in my week. And sometimes I don't even realize it, but it's like, yeah. And you know, even the things I learn outside of what we talk about mm-hmm. on this podcast too, you know, uh, we've kind of have, we've kind of developed this rapport that it's like, Matt check this out, man. This is what I, is, Hey, Michael, check this thing out. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, that's a really good
0: example of like we've done this every Wednesday and there are times when we don't, mm-hmm. you know, you're out of town. I'm out of town. One of us is sick, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's pretty rare. You know, mm-hmm. it's like maybe three or four times a year. We'll, we'll skip a week, but on those times when we skip a week, I feel real weird (laughs) totally and it's funny how it sneaks up on you Mm -hmm. because you know my life is is a bit strange because half the time i have my kids and that's a whole kind of life and half the time i'm single and that's a whole kind of life and wednesdays though this is our our life and it's not that i don't have nights where i don't have predetermined things to do Mm -hmm. But when I come upon a Wednesday when we're not podcasting, so I don't have predetermined things to do, I'll find myself kind of like real disoriented. Like, (laughs) what is, what do I do? What do I do with myself? And it's not like I have the conscious thought, we're not podcasting. What should I do instead? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it's more of a thing that sneaks up on me and, and pounces on me. like you don't know what to do with yourself. And I'm like, why don't I know what to do with myself? <laughs> oh, right. Cause we podcast on this night. Uh,
1: but it's so interesting. I mean, cause like those things are, you know, when Allison and the kids are not at the house or something like that, and mm. they've gone to same. Yeah. Another example. They've gone to, uh, Huntsville or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit disoriented. I end up just kind of not doing anything. <laughs> just honestly, it's like, uh, uh which, <clears throat> for you, Uh-huh. you, what is, okay. Well, uh, why do I you I don't you tell say, us yeah, what I usually do is what I go, you not doing anything means. <laughs> it means I read all day and like get on my whiteboard <laughs> and like, you know, <clears throat> jot out a bunch of stuff. But, but it's just, it's also weird. Cause then I come home from that. I'm like, get totally engaged, like throughout the whole day. <clears throat> and then I come home and my house is quiet. There's nobody here. It's like the life that, gives me the meaning in my life you know it's like it's not around to kind of give me that feedback (coughs) and it's Mm. like it's like there's a part of me missing because a part of me is embedded in my kids and in my wife you know it's like it's the same thing i did like a part of me is embedded in this wednesday night that we do you know it's Mm -hmm. like um and it's a part of me that when it's not there i'm like oh okay what, what, what do I do? Because that's a part of me. And I, I see this with like, like with marriages, you know, like my mom, my dad passed away last year and it's like, she's missing a whole part of herself because a lot of a, a whole part of herself was embedded in my dad in my dad and her. Yeah. And when you lose somebody, it's sort of like—I mean, it can be with like a breakup too, because you've—you've—you've you've offloaded a certain part of yourself to somebody else, and almost entrusted them with that. Yeah. And and you feel that loss or that absence, and, and part of it's good because you're like, oh, I, I really miss them. You know, I, I recognize that mm. that's they are a part of me, and I'm a part of them. And you know, there's a part that's 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 good to to acknowledge that maybe that's Maybe that's another really interesting way to look
0: at this idea of dying to yourself.
1: Mm.
0: So that when you're, when you're creatively productive, you're investing yourself in to other people and other things. It could be a relationship, a girlfriend, a wife could be a car. Mm. It could be a podcast, you know, just to use the examples from right now, but the future is unpredictable. And those things, some of those things are going to change. Mm -hmm. Some of those things are outside of your control. And some part of you that you invested into those things Hmm. goes away with them. Yeah.
1: It's like a part of my mom died.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really easy to understand when, you know, how long were they married? 50 years or something? Yeah, something like that. When a a marriage like that, one of them dies, you think, yeah, half that person's gone. And that Mm -hmm. sort of makes sense. But I think that's happening on a daily basis as the world around you moves and changes. And Mm -hmm. you have a lot of you invested in, to much smaller degrees, in a bunch of different things. You know, like, I have myself invested in that car. Mm Mm-hmm in like full transparency, that car has been sitting in my driveway untouched for two years
1: Mm.
0: and I don't want to give it up because there's something of me in that, Mm. you know, but I don't have the time or energy at the moment to do anything about getting it back on the road. And so I just, am frozen in it.
1: Mm.
0: I don't want to die. Yeah. I don't want to watch part of me, part of my, blood literal blood and sweat that's touched that car you know i don't want to watch it walk like go away Hmm. you do that with relationships with girlfriends like i don't want to end this because you own some part of me
1: or even like kids going off to college or even the house you know it's like there's a part even just kids growing up yeah oh yeah yeah cute little four-year-old selves (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like the part of you. I think about this all the time. I, w- I watched my my middle daughter. She's thirteen. She she made the cheer team. She actually got uh, anointed cheer captain. Mm. Uh, is that the appropriate word? Dubbed. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, go with you I'm, I, I, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So they they cheered at their first uh, football game. Oh, cool. And it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I was watching it feeling half like celebratory clapping and jumping up and down and just half half wanting to just ball, just cry, just watch Mm. this nascent woman and thinking about how I used to hold her in my arms, you know, and like I can still taste the skin of her forehead when Mm. I would kiss it, the baby skin and the Mm -hmm. smell and like, looking at her at that age and having hopes and dreams for her and full of a a swell of love. And now here I am and I'm watching this woman and she's doing her own thing. And I absolutely love it, Hmm. but I also hate it (laughs) because I have to give up the part of me that wanted to dote on her Mm -hmm. as a little girl, you know, I have to die to that. Yeah, you have you to know, allow her and, to be the, And allow her the to, to be a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just hope that she has kids one day and then I can be the doting grandparent, you know? <laughs>
1: totally. It's so interesting because it's like it doesn't, it's not helpful for our kids if we don't die to our conceptions and ideas of who they were as a four-year-old mm-hmm. and allow them to be the woman or man that they're growing to be. Right. And, it's something that's, that's kind of somewhat of our duty is to usher that in for them and help them. And it's like, we need to be the mature ones to right. kill off that. You know, it's like we still get the, we still get the treasure of those moments, but we also have, we can't, we can't keep them in that space. And part of our job is to push them into the future too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe guide's a better mm-hmm. word, but <clears throat> sometimes there's a there's a little bit of a push mm. sometimes i think about the image of
0: <clears throat> let me know if this is wrong or misguided or masochistic in some way but <laughs> i think about the process of raising my kids something like i'm exchanging my life force mm. Not exchanging. I'm just giving mine to them Mm. as they grow and become. I'm dying. Yeah. And I'm taking parts of me and I'm investing it in them, you know, just like I might in a car or a girlfriend or a podcast. But when I invest parts of me in them, there isn't the possibility of loss Mm. because they will go on and I will sacrifice all of myself for them to be as full and vibrant as they possibly can be. Maybe that's sort of deeply evolutionarily based Hmm. is that they're my ticket into the future. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm going to give all of myself to them Mm -hmm. little bit piece by piece. And as I do, I will dwindle. And I will, I will die.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this, this this will tie into that, but there's, there's definitely the idea of giving giving something of yourself that you do reap something in the future. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but if you don't know how to give of yourself or die to yourself, you know, you can't reap into the future. It's the same idea of like, you know, <coughs> uh, again, <laughs> Jesus talks about like a, a kernel that falls from the, uh, uh, plant and, you know, dies in order for it, something to grow from it. And it's like, I think there's something embedded in our biology and, and also just in how, uh, you know, plants work and almost everything. You, there's something about you have to die in order to produce anything. And <laughs> you you talked about that with your music too. It's like you mm-hmm. had to die to something in order to spend more time on your music, you know, mm-hmm. and, and something about, which we've kind of lost perspective of I think today is that having a family is actually, it's not a nuisance. It's not a, um, it's not a negative thing. There's something that you're, you're investing not only in your future, but the future of, uh, <clears throat> your kids and, and what they could be and what they could produce. And that's something that's really valuable, but there's something when you do that, you have to die to yourself and die to maybe some dreams too. in in a sense, you know, mm. Yeah. But it's for something that's in the future that's bigger than anything you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. That, um, image of a,
0: it's like a, did you say it's a seed falling or a mm-hmm. kernel falling and it, it dies. Mm-hmm. Is there another <coughs> nuanced definition of the word die that is more applicable to that? When a seed is there like an agricultural definition to die? Like,
1: well, I guess as the plant dies, it releases its seeds because it falls from the. But, but there might be an agricultural hmm. shedding. <laughs>
0: I no, know. I think there, I think there is something to that. Like mm. a a seed dies when it hits the ground and embeds in the ground, mm-hmm. but out of that death is rebirth. Mm-hmm. Because the seed can remain dormant for long periods of time, totally,
1: and then awaken. It's like a death. I think it's something I've always loved about that. Just even the analogies of seeds, and you know, it's like you plant seeds in lots of different places, and some things, you know, grow up fast, and you 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 can reap the rewards from it. You know, it's like. Uh, you plant a a strawberry you know and then you get a strawberry bush within you know a couple months you know mm-hmm. but if you plant an oak tree it takes tw- 10 20 30 years before you really reap the the shade of the tree or the the canopy and the and the girth of of what that is and i think there's there's a lot of that there's a lot of things that we plant that are they're that more short term and there's mm-hmm. also things we plant that are like long term yeah and a lot of that is, is like, I'm going to forego the pleasure of today in order to plant something that I will be able to reap the benefits Mm. from years down the road. Mm. I mean, you you look at this in investing too, which is still hard for me to see. It's like, okay, I'm going to make this investment, but I'm not going to reap the rewards from it for another 10 to 20 years. Uh, You know, know, right now you and I are talking a lot about Bitcoin and it's like, it's like, what we're doing in investing and investing in that stuff is like, it's not really for today in the volatility it's for five or 10 years or 20 years from now that maybe, maybe we don't even reap the benefits from it, but our kids do. Mm-hmm. And when you have kids, it, it puts you on a different timeline too, especially I would imagine like if your kids have kids, your timeline even goes further, right? Your hurt, your time horizon expands. I think that's something very valuable and that's why kids are so important and most people should have kids is because your time horizon expands into the future. And I don't think that happens very naturally without having something to tangibly tie yourself to the future. Right. Cause I hear a lot today, like, you know, it's like, Oh, I want to go travel. I want to do these things and all that kind of stuff before I have kids or if I have kids. And it's like, you know, those are all good and fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's like, but when you, when you're investing in something into the future, like you also want to be able to enjoy that. And it's like having, like I'm really thankful that we had kids at a young age for the most part, even probably, I was pretty old for that. I had Elliot twenty-seven, my oldest, and but still, I'm you know forty-four, and I'm getting to see her go to college, and you know it's like I'll probably be fairly young if she has kids, you know, hopefully, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I think there's something that he, he, I think there's there's some maybe some negative cultural aspects that we've kind of pushed against, maybe that. Have extended our idea of family and how young to start that. Mm-hmm. But I could imagine that actually reversing at some point. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think we're in the
0: midst of a great experiment.
1: Yes, totally. Oh, what was
0: that? I was thinking. Hmm. well I think a lot a lot changed with the millennials Hmm. you're not quite a a millennial and neither am I I'm I'm a cusper Hmm. Um, I I think a lot changed in the last 40 years and our parents generation has not extinguished yet Mm mm-hmm and there's a big difference between our parents' generation and our generation, mm-hmm. and the generation of our kids. And as we see that play out over the next, you know, probably seventy years, we're going to see the
1: results of the experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think the millennial specifically, like I'm, I'm definitely Gen X cusp.er You know, it's like I'm on the, the on the edge of that, but it's like, you know not to rehash all of it, but like, you know, we knew what before internet, before dial up, before phones, uh, you know, mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like, there's something that our kids are having to deal with and work through that is, is really new and and very different. And the amount of information that's available and, that I think a lot of it's kind of a, there's probably some disservice to them. They're kind of a Guinea pig generation. Like I think our kids are mostly Gen Z's. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Gen Z. But I think millennials were kind of like the main, Mm. uh, lab rats, lab rats of that confusion Mm -hmm. of that kind of coming into this information age. Right. And it's going to be, I think it's really hard for, I think it's hard for them to make that because like, again, you're talking about, Early Gen Xers and and Boomers trying to trying to maneuver in this new world, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with 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 uh, all this new information and things at your fingertips. That you know, how do you say no to screen time or or whatever it might be? And like, what's healthy and what's good? And, <clears throat> well, we don't. Yeah, we don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I think I think we have some evidence. And the evidence isn't looking good.
1: Well, it's also hard because, like, you know, you think about, like, all the information that that you and I have that our parents didn't have. I mean, your parents were counselors, so they might be a little different. But, like, if you went to a counselor when we were growing up, you were fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, where now it's, like, it's okay to ask for help. Hmm. It's okay to go to a counselor. Like, there's not a stigma around it that there was. And, like, how you and I raised our kids versus, like, the the things available to our, our, our family, our, I mean, our parents mm-hmm. is completely different and we know so much more, but at the same time, we, we've, I think we've also lost some of the wisdom of the, of the elders. Well, that.
0: but it's interesting. It's like, it's okay to ask for help,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but how much help should you have? Yeah. Is there too much help? Does it rob you of success? We'll find out.
1: Yeah. I think that's where you, the, the helicopter parents of the nineties is mm-hmm. like, that's kind right. of like that idea is protecting your kids too much from danger and, and problems. And, you know, can, Yeah, it can be just, just as bad, if not worse mm-hmm.
0: than just letting them do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Cool. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> Well, guys, thanks for coming out to the shores. We love you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> all right. It's There's
0: right. <laughs> a famous story about my grandfather that... He would never say goodbye on the phone. you mm-hmm. would just be talking to him, and he'd just go, all right, and just hang up. <laughs> like back on landline days, you know? Uh, it wasn't like, bye, bye. Mm-hmm. He just would be like, okay, click. Mm-hmm.